Hey, what's good, everyone? And you're back with Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies, and more. I'm your host, Max Bowen. For this episode, I'm talking with author John Lawrence for his new book, Residency, Playing Doctor, second in a humorous three-part series focused on his more than 20 years in medicine. Now, the thing is, being a doctor was the last thing John had planned. And so we talk all about how he got into medical school, what the experience was like, and what kept him in the field for all these years. And my next guest is author uh, John Lawrence, talking about his soon-to-be-released book, just in time for the uh, the holidays. It's called uh, Playing Doctor Part 2 Residency, which I gotta say is a very, very cool title. It's a great approach. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. This is really, this is fantastic. No problem, man. No problem. So, so this book is, uh, again, it is a uh, part two, and this is like a very deep dive into your early years in medicine, kind of what you got, kind of like, like what got you into it. Um, but the thing that I'm really curious about is, um, like, why did you want to write the story in the first place? Uh, for the big bucks. I heard independent publishing was <laughs> where you can really make it. You were you know, grossly I'm, misinformed, sir. I was misinformed. Yeah, know, sorry. Water in the desert, either. Right. Um, I, I loved writing. I've just, I've always, um, writing was the place where, as you'll find out on this interview, I think, um, I, I can write more authentically than I can speak. So uh, I, I found when I, you know, when you'd write stuff out, at least when I was allowed to creatively write, even as a young age, that's when my teachers would suddenly go, wait a second, you actually do know how to write. You, you just need to be let loose a little bit and have your own voice. Um, and so I would be taking notes. I mean, as, if, um, as the first book, Playing Doctor, um, points out, I wasn't really planning on being a doctor. It wasn't, it was the one thing I told my college advisor I did not want to be. So I didn't take a single pre-med class in college. Had to go back and do all those. And when I started, I had... Um, some head injuries. So I always had a kind of a, a different perspective, I think the majority of, of med students. So I'd be interviewing patients and at the same time taking notes about some of the just hilarious stuff that was coming out of both our mouths going, this is crazy and emailing the stories out to friends. And that, that's, that was kind of the genesis of this book, but writing was something I just always loved to do. So cool, man. So cool. Now, now, like given that so much of like what you do is supposed to be um, confidential, was there like some stuff that you like write about and to go back and say, Oh wait, no, I can't actually say those things. Um, yeah, great question. Absolutely. Uh, had me a little concerned. Certainly, you know, it's easy to change names. You know, there's certain cases. Now, I, I wrote this a long time ago. It's been kind of sitting there on my computer for a long time. I'm not sure if there's a statute of limitations on certain cases as, as the second book does get into some more legal aspects. Um, so I did try to com- either compress things or change locations and not make it too much. But I've had some book clubs where people are going, wait, I I was around those those decades. I'm, I was trying to figure out who's who, and they're asking me, and I was like, "Well, <laughs> might have to keep that a little under wraps." But for some of the pay, uh, the people that are, that are in there, friends or doctors who um, you know I, I I talk about, I I did ask certain people, "Is it okay if I include your story, even even if they were super positive and heroic on their part?" I wanted to make sure they were okay with it. Cool. When it gets in the personal stories, a little bit more awkward, but. Uh, I get you. I get you. Now you mentioned earlier that going to medicine was not your plan. It was it was actually like like the last thing you wanted to do. What happened that made you change your mind and say, "Okay, I'm going to do this thing that's going to take like 20 years of my life just to get my degree"? Yeah, might not might not have put enough thought into that one. I should have read the the job description a little <laughs> more carefully. Um, I did. I was I was. Uh, this is you know I'm I'm going back a few decades. So the, the options at some point coming out you know there weren't 
it was more difficult, I think, to figure out what was available to you. And you know, nowadays as an artist, when I produce made a film, there's so many more avenues and ways to get things done, which are fantastic. So we have a lot more content, but you can make stuff, which is great. And at the time, so I really thought to go into the arts, to go into acting, film writing, you had to be kind of you know, sprinkled with fairy dust from you know, family in Hollywood that allowed you to do that. And, I mean, I'll be honest, I, mean I, I don't think I had enough courage at the time to go and say, I'm, I'm just going to go throw it out there and see what happens. So I had, um, I had been thinking about medicine. I went and talked to my advisor years later, you know, this is while I was still in college and said, what do you think? I think I'm going to, I was going to go to law school, taking the LSATs and and thought I'd go into environmental policymaking, want to kind of you know, help do conserve, you know, conservation work. Um, and I said, well, maybe I've worked in some, you know, interned in some big sweatshops in New York City and uh, law firms, and no, nobody seemed very happy there. So I said, well, I'm thinking maybe I'll just go to med school instead. And he said, well, it sounds like you're just jumping careers right now because you don't know what to do. And he was he was probably right. So I thought about, it, but the thought just kept processing. I was like, you know, it's a it's a profession where I think I would get a lot out of it. You know, I know the work would be challenging, which I liked. I, I've realized to myself, I need to be challenged and motivated. You can do it around the world. So I, the idea of doing like Doctors Without Borders is kind of what, what triggered me. I was talking to this French doctor and I probably didn't understand half of what he was saying. So maybe he was saying, you know, avoid going into medicine. Um, but I ended up, uh, you know, thinking about it. And so I went back, took all the classes and um, it, it was with, you know, kind of the end game knowing, you know, this is something I could do where I'll actually really enjoy the work, but I could also work part-time, which gives me time to write films or to make movies or write books. So uh, it all worked out. <laughs> I'll bet it did. Now, 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 you've been in medicine uh, for 20 years now, roundabouts, and you actually had uh, recently retired, and then you kind of got back into it um, uh, when COVID hit. Did you have any uh, back and forth on like going go back, or was it more like, okay, everyone's suffering, they're hurting, I'm in there, I want to help out? Well, I'll, let me straighten that out a little bit. So yeah, I was, I had... I'd been running some urgent care clinics, which was great. Urgent care work was that shift work. So I was producing theater, acting in shows, making movies, you know, I'd have um, kind of ran my own hours and it was great. Then I had kids and working long hours and not showing up until the next morning, having to say goodbye to them for long periods of time was not what I wanted to do. So I, I started my own clinic, which was more of um, a functional medicine type clinic where I got to spend more time with the patients, focus on what I thought was more in line with my own thoughts about what health was and take a lot more time to get to know people and a lot of work with um, regenerative medicine, stem cells. And I was getting more and more out of that and working more on my writing and trying to get these books out, trying to get scripts written and also working some other side gigs in business. So I, I was slowly weaning out, had sold half my practice, gave my practice away, the rest of it, and had walked away from medicine completely. Uh, and that's, and I was working based, well, I shouldn't say completely, um, work on a tech project right now, which we do vocal analytics to help monitor mental health. And this is right before COVID hit. So COVID hits and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I finally leave medicine after 20 years. Now I'm feeling this moral obligation. Like, hey, New York was getting hit hard. And I'm originally, I've been out here in Utah for many years, but still as a New Yorker thinking, do I need to go back and help? Can I help here? If it, you know, if it gets more serious where we live here in Utah, um, which it, you know, it didn't compare to what a lot of you, you guys saw on the East coast. Um, so, but I'd really been out of that level of practice. You know, I hadn't been practicing, you know, with, with ventilators or anything like that for years. So I, uh, my, my focus was if it gets bad, I'll go back and offer my services for sure, but it never did. And so I've been working more on the mental health um, aspect of our company, which is actually turns out to be also very needed with um, COVID. So that's my day job. When we talk about our day jobs, that's, I do that and, and then, uh, you know, work on the writing still um, more or less full time as well. Excellent. All right. You mentioned acting, and I want to ask about how you were able to basically balance, you know, 
you know, medicine as a career with, you know, acting and screenwriting. Um, yeah, balance, balance is that key word, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. It. <laughs> it's you like balance. How did I do that? Uh, and it certainly was easier before um, kids and my, my, my wife, then girlfriend, when I was, was having, you know, finding time to act more was very supportive. So like I said, it was nice that I could work weekends or some long days and work there around acting classes. And that's when I realized I'm not getting hired for a lot of stuff. I'm just going to produce my own plays. That'll show them. So did that. I, I'm just going to make my own movie. So raise money, made my own feature film. Um, so I was able to do it on my schedule. And luckily, I had a really good reputation with, um, you know, the other owners in the clinics. And they always knew my interest. I, I was very open about what I really love to do. So they were always supportive. And I'd say, great, I'll, you know, I'm going to take these months off and go film this. Or, you know, I, I've, I've got to have these nights off because we've got a play going on. So I, got, I was very fortunate that way. All right. What were some of the movies or plays uh, that you did? <laughs> well, movie. Well, I was in, I had a, um, I, I had a great uh, talk about really fun um, synchronicity in the world, serendipitous moment. So I'd been um, working on a film project I'd wanted to do for a long time. It was kind of the first script I'd written just, you know, before residency, I'd show up in the coffee shop at five in the morning, just handwrite it, handwrite it, wrote it over years, couldn't get the money for it. I finally, uh, we, we just kept lowering the budget, lowering the budget. We thought we were going to get it made. And um, so we go to get this, um, this film uh, made. And a friend, we're pitching it to all sorts of business people. And he says, what's the lowest budget you can do? And I looked at the guy who's going to be my UPM. Um, and we kind of look up and we, we kind of bandied around this really micro low budget number. And he says, okay, well, I'll give you half if you can find the other half. So, I mean, I just about leapt over this table and, you know, kissed the guy. And, and I was like, that's it. I mean, I cashed out my 401k. I mean, I sold my house, my car ended up to finish the film, maxing out four credit cards and had a lot of friends donate as well. I had a lot of other friends put money in um, to help match this. So, and we got money from the state of Utah. So we filmed this movie that was called um, Peloton. Now everybody knows Peloton now, and I wish I had branded, you know, gotten peloton.com at the time, damn it. But um, at the time, all these film people were saying, you know, these studios are saying, we got to rebrand your film. Nobody knows what Peloton is. And I was like, it's the 10th most Googled word in the language because of Lance Armstrong at the time. But right before I go to film it, so I'm trying to get all these, this great crew. Luckily, I've got a really wonderful, there's a nice film community here in Utah. And uh, so the film, so you're asking the name. So the, that film, my film was called The Cyclist. And it, it became a very generic type film for reasons I didn't trust my own writing. Uh, it was a great learning process for me, but I, I directed it. But the, the music, the sound, we had amazing DP, amazing um, you know, um, music and, and composers on it. But right before I shoot it, I lost most of my crew, a bunch of other films that are out here in Utah at the time. So it was, you know, the people we got turned out was the perfect, what we were supposed to, but one of the, um, one of the films was a, a big, um, I guess it was a Disney project that didn't do well, but the other one was Danny Boyle was filming 127 hours out here and I got a part in it. So I didn't tell anybody, but I get to go down right before I film, I get to work with Danny Boyle right after he wins the Academy Award for Slumdog Millionaire and just talked with him all day. I mean, when Danny Boyle looks and goes, wait, you're John Lawrence. He sees me at breakfast and we talk and we film. It's just uh, every time I was getting nervous on set, I think back to how relaxed Danny Boyle is and go, hey, you don't have to just chill, have fun. You, you know, just, uh, so that was, that was really a fun film to be involved with right before we, we filmed uh, my first film. Wow, that's, that's really big, man. That's really big. That was good fun. But the players were, were all over the place. I think we had, we, uh, we produced the, um, the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged where three guys play every part, you know, it's brilliantly written. We didn't write that one, but it was absolutely amazing. But we did Shakespeare did, um, you know, I, I like the comedy, but that's, uh, yeah. I'll bet. I'll bet. Now, do you still do um, movies today? 
Well, as soon as, uh, so book two in this series um, comes out this December and I'm editing, uh, I've just got the book back from the editor for the, the final uh, book. That's gonna come out next, uh, early next summer. Um, and as soon as that's done, so right now I'm reviewing my scripts, I already know which independent film, you know, I'll do another independent film, um, we'll start working on pretty shortly thereafter. And uh, I've got some green projects lined up after that, but I think I need, I need to take the next step up and just do a little, you know, that's, that's this is my, my plan. Who knows where it'll actually take me, but that's the direction we're heading, so. Excellent. Now, you mentioned something earlier that I want to talk a little more about. Uh, you said that when you were uh, when you're making out a cyclist that you didn't trust your own writing. Did that yeah. um, become an issue also when you were working on your books? No, um, that's a great question because, um, yeah, after that came out, when, you know, when I got to look back objectively and look at the film, you go, okay, it looks good. It sounds good. But, and I, and I knew the original story I, I wrote, but then you had a lot of people who were bigger in the industry. They'd read it and say, here's the idea. So I kept rewriting it, rewriting it. And it just became this really generic type of sports film without a heart or soul. And my original idea, I think, I almost want to go back and still make it with a, in a different, maybe a different sport or different, you know, take elements that I really loved. Um, it was more based around, uh, that's a whole different story, based around Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Um, but, um, so I went back and did a lot of classes after that. You know, I was going to constant seminars and taking screenwriting classes and just said, that's it. I will just write one screenplay after another. So I just churned out script, 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 and just kept writing, trying to find that voice. Whereas when I'm writing the book, it does, it did flow much more easily. You know, it was written almost like a, you know, me just writing my voice and stream of consciousness. And then I would reread it over and over and over and just read it out loud. And that's one of the nice things when friends read it, they go, this is so your voice. Certain chapters that capture, I think, get that authentic voice of mine and that's what I was going for just you know supposed to be friends sitting around the bar telling stories how was your day oh my goodness you never believe this was what happened so I was trying to capture that more conversational piece and I think that somewhat I guess self-deprecating or tongue-in-cheek type tone is, is is captures my voice and yeah it is a little trickier to capture that on um the narrative voice in a, in a script it's something they, they can teach but you just have to work on Oh yeah, 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 definitely. I think I think the writers, especially when they're first uh, starting out, like they'll like write their book, they'll do it, and they'll do some more, and they go back and they're like, "Wow, I did not know what the hell I was doing this first time around." <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I think I do, I do that re recurrently. You look back at other stuff, and sometimes you churn stuff out. And you go, "Oh, well, that wasn't so bad," you know. It's uh, but it is certainly the process of rewriting. You know, that's that the, the cliche: writing is rewriting. As, as you know, as a journalist, my goodness, it's constantly trying to find that i'm sure you get that moment so, oh finally find the hook finally find the oh dude it uh, it is such a struggle there are times where i'll like write a story it's like okay this lead is shit i'll just keep going and get back to it later and then, and then like two in the morning that's my lead that's what i gotta do it's always at the right. weirdest times but you have to do that process right i think if you don't put it through the process if you don't think it through if you don't work it write it then your brain hasn't connected whatever it is. You know, it's not tingling those synapses. They're going to snap at three in the morning or when you're going for a walk or, you know, hits us in the shower when it's not thinking of something else. Always yeah. in the shower, always in the shower yeah, or on well. the toilet. <laughs> I heard this, uh, I think it was Aaron Sorkin had something that, you know, he said he used to take like 10 showers a day. <laughs> some, some other famous screenwriters telling the same thing and saying they started doing the same thing. And people are like, dude, we live in California. We're in a drought. You can't go taking 10 showers a day just to get, you know, your mind stimulated. Exactly. You, you know what? Just stand like in the shower. Don't, don't like turn the water on. Just stand like in the shower. That should be enough. <laughs> I'm going to try that. Just need like other location, the, the like environment uh, basically. Yeah. Just take a little spray bottle and sprinkle, spritz yourself instead. It's the environmental Man. move. Aaron Sorkin must be like the cleanest guy in Hollywood right now. That and he drives around a lot. I mean, it's probably a Tesla, so he's probably free, but yeah, it, it works for him. I love his writing. It's, it's 
brilliant. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. But let's get back to the book now, because I am very curious to hear about like your time during uh, your medical training and working as a junior doctor. Because for me, you know, my knowledge of medicine doctors is limited to TV shows, which I'm sure are completely accurate. <laughs> Couldn't finish that one. Sorry. <laughs> well, they had their moments. It was, I think we had this hilarious time when I was in, in med school, you know, ER had just hit, was really popular. So it made it one very tough to get into medical school at the time, but every week ER would come on and the next day, everybody's bantering back and forth, except for me, I could barely stay awake with head injuries, but you know, they're, they're arguing over who figured the case out sooner in ER. So it provides some, um, certainly provided some, some, some fun stories. I'll bet. But what is it like for you back at this time? Like you mentioned, this was uh, many years ago. What was it like for you back when you were like doing your training, working as like a junior doctor? So, so yeah, so I, again, so when I started medical school, that was one of the, you know, um, you know, one of the leads, I guess, if you want on, on playing doctor part one is, one, I wasn't planning on going. When I did, I had a really awful mountain bike crash four weeks before medical school starts. So I wake up in the neuro ward and I don't know what's going on. I can't tell. All I know is I've messed up my life. You know, I can tell that much. I've got my friends all looking at me. I can't, you know, don't know what's happening. So I've had a bleed in my brain. And uh, four weeks later, the day before med school starts, I go and have another mountain bike crash. So I get what's called second impact syndrome. So it's increased swelling in your brain on a previous swelling in your brain. And it can be fatal. Luckily, it was not, but certainly gave you know took away a lot of short-term memory. So, so one, I don't have a lot of really great memories of medical school, but it was a struggle. So things that used to come easily, just reading a book and retaining information, didn't exist anymore. So, so when I look back on medical school, it was a it's a blur of boy trying to cram stuff into my brain, and everybody else seems to know what they're doing. They've all double majored in, in microbiology and wanted to be doctors since they were you know in utero and. And I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to keep my head off my desk because I'm so tired and have massive headaches and I can't find my way home at night and I can't remember what book I'm reading when I turn the page. And um, so that was challenging in its own way. And, you know, slowly that improved. It took, a, you know, I, I think it took a few years to fully recover um, and maybe it didn't 100%, but, um, you know, the work certainly gets dramatized a lot in, in, in shows and books and, and what you said was interesting because you really haven't besides the TV shows, but one of the thought, things I thought about writing these books, you know, the audience is we've all had interactions. We've either been in the hospital or know somebody who's been in the clinic or you've gone to the doctor for a checkup. You've gone, you know, people have taken their kids in or their parents in. So we've all had interactions with doctors. And I wanted to give that little bit of the, here's the behind the scenes look at what, you know, here's how they got trained here. These guys are just, you know, we're just people too. We're struggling day to day. We don't always know what's going on. And you know, I think we grew when I grew up, there was this illusion that doctors were this very noble and brilliant group, and they mostly are. Then you get me going, well, somehow I made it through. But, uh, you know, I, I had to make up for the, the wisdom, which having to work hard. You know, that was really the, you know, just a lot of review and a lot of working hard. And um, it's been interesting talking to people about the book, and you brought up, you know, that I left medicine. And it was always a challenge. And it was interesting to look back and realize, as I talk to people, what different people pick up in the books. The, um, the dedication, really, that's what I try to point out here is how dedicated doctors are. I don't think patients or people realize, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I didn't think we're late for my appointment and this and that, or they missed something. I mean, the, the guy, the people I know in the hospitals, they, they are unbelievably dedicated um, to what they do. And certainly the last two years has maybe highlighted that a bit more, but just people who stand hour after hour when they're supposed to be home, staring at a patient, what, trying to figure out how to help them. And emotionally, that I think is very 
um, hard, but you know, it's the same level, I think, of what we put into our writing, we put into somewhere else. It's just a level of, you know, when that's what you love to do, you give yourself to it. And so that's, you know, I think the, the people that are in medicine, they, they really, um, when they find that, I think they really have a love for it. Mm-hmm. Now, is this meant to be like a very like in-depth look at like this particular time of your life is meant to be like a serious book, a comedy book? What's sort of the, uh, the, uh, the aim here? Well, I would, the, 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 the common thing I've heard back in the first book was, you know, I had a lot of people just, I have some really lovely comments, but just people just saying, this you know, so many laugh out loud moments. You know, I had somebody call me up and say, I've, I've had to read the book standing in a pool because I kept peeing my pants laughing. And I had a, a few comments from people around the world saying, oh my goodness, I've my, this is really not good when you've got, uh, you know, when your bladder leaks. Um, so it was good. It was, and it was very much supposed to be based on these emails I used to blast out to people before blogs were a thing, you know, back in the nineties, I'd be three in the morning in the hospital, you know, get a break. And I'd send out these big group emails just about the crazy stuff that happened uh, that day. And a few friends had saved them. And, and one of them one day tells me, she said, um, you know, do you mind if I publish these? And I said, no, I'll just write the whole thing. I just said it flippantly, but I did. I sat down the next day and just started writing and wrote the whole book. So it was this big 700 page volume that I didn't know what to do with it. And it just kind of sat there and I sent it out to, I think, four agents saying, what do you think? And two of them said, great, send us some samples. And yeah, I said, you need some editing work. And I just had a lot of other stuff going on. So it sat there, I'd tweak it, tweak it. So it was meant to be entertaining. Um, and then I just got a, a review back on the second book. And they said, there's still a lot of laugh out loud moments, but definitely a lot more serious, you know, cause I get into, as you, and that was supposed to be the arc of the whole, the book, which I broke into now multiple books. Um, you know, as you go along, it just does become more serious. What gets dropped in your lap, you're more in charge. doesn't mean you don't fall on your face or not know what's going on, but you're not the observer anymore. You're supposed to be responsible. And I did start putting in, you know, it's, it'd be hard to talk through medicine without a mix of the, the humorous, but also the, the sad cases and the dramatic cases that, you know, you get to see um, and how you handle them. So it was, it's supposed to be the arc of a character learning about medicine. So there's, there's hopefully some humor and some heart. That's the way I, I describe it. Do you ever like look back on this period of your life and think, what was I thinking? Or geez, I really, I really should have done like this instead of this. You mean medically? Oh um, yeah. Or should I have not taken the path to become a doctor? Yeah, 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 yeah. More or less. Yeah. The second one. Um, I, I talk, you know, uh, with, you know, close friends, my wife, they've known for, you know, they used to, people used to laugh and say, you're the only person that smiles going through medical school. You know, one, because that's most, I think personality wise, you just, you know, Hey, we all work hard. We got to smile through it. Um, you know, I've said, I have said, boy, if there was a regret, I wish I'd had the courage to maybe try to apply and go on, you know, gone to film school early on, but who knows what that path would have been. Right. Um, so again, it's kind of a wasted emotion to regret something. So I think in the middle of it, sometimes it was hard. Um, and I would think, boy, I wish I was doing something else, but, um, every time I thought about it and put any more thought, it came back to that, you know, can't regret it. You, you made your choices and this is what you did. So, um, now, you know, step back and go make films then stop talking about it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That, uh, that's such an interesting, like transition, like career wise going from like, you know, film to medicine and then like back to film. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, it's funny. I've seen some good analogies of, you know, business and film, you know, it's a, it's a business. They're all businesses. Um, you know, medicine certainly is one that you're focused because you're in one place, but it was, um, I think you find there's a lot of, of doctors out there actually who uh, are big into the arts. You know, there's so many, there's even books about it. Like, you know, the, the brain I think works musically. There's a real musical mindset among a lot of doctors. So many of our doctor friends are in bands or, you know, love music. And, you know, I think it's either it aligns or maybe they just need that break. You know, one side of the brain, like, boom, I need a break and go take me somewhere else. I don't know. 
so for me, it was just, uh, okay, <laughs> I'm not taking the most direct route. It's probably a better path towards uh, either one of these things. I seem to keep taking the more difficult and circuitous route anywhere, but I guess uh, we learn as we go. I don't think anyone ever takes like a direct path to places. Like I think un- unless they're like born into it, where like their parent was in like X career and they go into like the same thing. I think unless they had that that kind of route, everyone takes a weird kind of like whiny turn like like myself. I would never have thought I would be doing like a podcast. I had a terrible speech impediment. I couldn't talk straight to him like still they saved my life. Right. That's amazing. I think it's one that's beautiful. I mean, you've got this great show. Um, and you're right. I think one of, I, I mean, there's so many ways out there now to read or listen to podcasts about you hear different origin stories of different, you know, people have quote unquote made it. But, you know, when you look at so many people, you listen, everybody's got a different story. However, they made it as a doctor, they made it as a filmmaker, you know, journalist, writer, everybody. You're right. You're right. There's so many paths out there. And I think we just have to keep learning it. And, the, you know, the only the only negative thing, the only downtimes in my life that have been really, you know, when I had some unhappiness was when I was stagnant, you know, and you almost get paralyzed, you know, that analysis paralysis and you're not going forward. And that's just the only time where. You know, I'm not talking about a grounded, nice, meditative, ah, oh, I'm present to where I am, not doing anything. I'm talking about when you're like, oh, shoot, I do I want to do medicine? Do I not? What do I do? Or not making a film? You know, I've always said, you know, well, just go do something. As long as you start taking steps forward, it's going to take you somewhere. So Exactly. Just go do something, whatever it is. Even if it's like a small thing, just go do the thing. You'll feel better afterwards. Yeah. You just go for a walk and it just clears your mind. You're like, okay, now I can, you know. Motivate again. Okay, here's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Now, when it came to like what you want to include in the book, how do you decide what to keep and what to toss? I mean, like, I mean, like 20 years doing this kind of thing, you uh, you must have a million and one stories. Yeah. So, um, well, the the 20 years in practice, I'm trying to decide do I actually write those. These are all from from training and and the story shortly thereafter uh, when I'm actually in practice early on, which will be in the third book. Um. And luckily, I kept a lot of notes. I mean, I had, you know, shoeboxes filled with, you know, scribbles and notes and chart notes and, you know, the emails that I'd sent to friends, I asked them all to send them back to me so I could, you know, take them all. And I had a lot of, you know, quotations. So everything really came directly from, you know, source material. And when I wrote it was 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 right after I'd finished. So you know, a lot of things were very fresh. Um, but what to pick was tough. I wanted it to be, obviously, you don't want to write something that's boring. You know, and a lot of medicine is really repetitive i mean you just sit and write notes it's not that exciting to tell somebody here's the long note i wrote you know notes all day long all day long and you know so you know you pick the stories that were fun to tell your friends about a lot of the time um and including personal stories and that became you know sensitive how you people want to see a little bit about what's going on in your personal life too to make it more interesting was you know some of the notes from the the editor i used uh, she and she's wonderful um so that was a balance um and i've certainly found you know get rid of Get rid of anything unless it's really what you want. You know, keep it keep it lean. Was what I I found. Mm-hmm. Was it always your intention to do like a three book series, or was it going to be like okay, one and then that that's it? Well, as written, it was one huge book. Like I said, it was a seven hundred page, all of it. And I think I don't know, you know, who's going to pick up an Encyclopedia Britannica size, you know, big book? And I had this moment, this this TV project I I, I thought was going to get picked up suddenly was was shot down and I put so much time into it. I just said, what can I, what can I, I just wanted to do something. I needed to get a project done. And so I, I went back to the book and thought, you know, nobody, I can publish this myself now, you know, and that's, and then I looked at it and thought, well, it just makes a natural division. So I was going to do, you know, book one medical school, book two, first year residency, second year residency, third year residency. 
And as you said, I just I just decided a lot of the material instead of four books, I've now reduced it to three, just because I thought it keep it tighter. No reason, you know, I don't I didn't want long things that you know were, were repetitive or such. So yeah, so it was um, one to make it more readable and how things work in a self publishing world. Uh, you know, people want shorter content and they recommend. You know, it's better if you can put a series out. It's helpful because if people like one book, they might read the second. And I, I don't think I would ever buy a 700-page book. <laughs> At least if I did, I don't think I've read them. Uh, works like for Tolkien, so you never know. Uh, you never know. <laughs> I'll need to add some works in here. I'll need to add something more interesting. That would make medicine a lot more interesting. You never know. There's, <laughs> there's times on certain wards you're not sure if that's what you're dealing with. So. <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. That's great. Is this book really meant for me if I want to go into medicine? This is, that's a, a great question that you get asked whenever you make a film, when you write a book, you know, they say, what's the audience? So you can't just say, well, it's for everybody, whoever likes it. You know, it's just, unfortunately, as much as we want to think that's the right answer, you know, you got to target your audience. That's more from even just marketing. Who are you going to put ads out to? How are you going to, you know, have your film or your book seen? So I, um, I, I saw this as a, you know, summer read, beach read, pick up a chapter or laugh a little bit, enjoy it. And, and I've, I've had good you know, people outside the medical industry who I think have really, I think that has been the case. And I, I need to do a better job marketing it because I still have friends in town who are shocked a year and a half later. Wait, you wrote a book? I go, obviously I'm not doing a very good job. <laughs> my own, you know, close friends near me don't even know I'm, so I, I did hire a marketer and she's amazing for the, um, for the second book, for the launch. So that's, that's hopefully we'll have a little better plan. Um, but I have, I, I've actually, it's been, I've been surprising. I've had people reach out to me from around the world, med students, pre-med students saying they really enjoyed it. I was probably most nervous about my doctor friends reading it and they would go like, oh my, John, what? This is not medicine at all. I really was worried they were going to go, you, you were way off. But instead they really said this, you know, it made me laugh and remember how crazy our lives really were back then. So, um, so I have, and I've, I've even had a lot of um, people, you know, adults read it who said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm passing this on to my son who's, pre-med or who's considering medical school, or I've got, you know, his girlfriend's pre-med or in medical school. So um, there's a little bit of that. So, yeah. I love the notion of getting this like insider baseball look at the profession too, because, you know, I don't know too many doctors and I don't know like too many folks who are in like the medical field. So getting this like sort of in-depth look, especially at the, like the training too, because I've heard it's absolutely brutal. Well, I, I was very fortunate um, to, to be in a very friendly atmosphere here. There certainly are programs that are considered malignant. You know, they are known to tear you down and leave you in tears. Um, and our, our program, you know, the, the, where I went to medical school and residency at the University of Utah. It's an exceptional facility. And so, but we're very fortunate. It's overall a very, you know, friendly program, very supportive um, overall. So luckily I didn't get torn to shreds too many times luckily that was that and also they you know they, they like everywhere else they just want to see they're working hard you know if you start shirking your duty you get called on it it's kind of hospitals a hard place to hide you got a lot of <laughs> lot of responsibilities and duties and it's just never enough time um so so that was that that served me well i think i was likely lucky to be where i was mm-hmm. now we were in the second book in the series i'm really curious if you're the kind of person who has a hard time letting go of something saying okay it's done we're not going to tweak it we're not going to edit it ship it off there and get to the printer? Um, well, I think after I've rewritten the book 40 or 50 times at some point, you know, <laughs> it definitely wasn't a, uh, it was funny, I had a friend, she's writing a book now too, she's about to come out and I'm sure it'll do exceptionally well. Um, and she said, I can't believe how fast you did this book. And I was thinking, 
well, I only started writing it 20 years ago. You know, it's, uh, you know, that's how long it took. And, you know, and, and each, each of the small, you know, these individual books in a series, you know, probably a year, year and a half of just working on, you know, each book and rewriting each chapter multiple, multiple times, reading out loud, tweaking it. And even just the other day, I just had somebody reading an advanced copy, picked up one or two typos. So you're constantly doing that, or I'll probably like you with that, you know, like a lead in mind, I'll go to bed at night and go, gosh, that line is still bugging me. Or I felt like I didn't expand that. And okay, luckily these days, you know, it's not so difficult. The tools out there, whether on Amazon or Ingram Spark, or whether it's on ebook, even for a print on demand, you can just, um, uh, you know, there's tools out there that make it so simple to just upload your rewrite so oh yeah i I once uh, spoke to a rapper who actually released an album and then pulled it right back i think it was like the next day because just because he realized you know it wasn't what it could have been so he just pulled the whole thing down went back to the studio re-recorded everything and then like re-released it yeah this one i mean i think i have to the point i've gotten to the point where you know now that it's out or will be out it's pretty much there um I can't remember, I'd have to think back on, on the first book if I, well, the first book I was terrified. You really, you know, you're waiting for it to be published and you're going, okay, I'm going to be criticized. People are going to realize this book's terrible. That's all I'm going to hear is awful, you know. It's, and so I don't read a single review. I don't read reviews. Um, I had to read like some of the professional ones so I can use their editorial reviews to put on the website or on, you know, Amazon page. But um, yeah, that's something that it's, I've talked to other artists, you know, getting the criticism is that's a tough one. You know, everybody deals with it differently, how you handle that. So that's where I thought you were going with that question. How, you know, can you let it go? And even with patients, I've noticed a similarity. You know, I think a lot of people are this way um, in medicine and artists. I think because you're there because you have a, you know, just the, the conscious level, the level of which you're empathic to other things around you. You, um, you know, you could get 99 nice comments or treat 99 patients really well. And one person's unhappy or one case doesn't go well and it just destroys you. You know, you really have to learn how to separate it or, or, you know, realize this is life. This, you know, there are bad outcomes, or even if you do your best work, it might not go well. Or even if, you know, you write a, a great book, you know, there's, there's plenty of genius books out there that not everybody likes, you know, it doesn't have to be. So it's, it's, you know, accepting that is, um, is a, I think for every, every type of writer, performer, singer, whatever, you know, you all deal with that in different ways. Oh, yeah, because taste can be so subjective. I mean, like, you can have mm-hmm. 10 people read the same book, and you're, and you're going to get, like, 10 different answers. I think one, I think one person said it best. Uh, they said that one man's To Kill a Mockingbird is another man's Twilight Saga. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, I was, I was certainly wondering, why am I going to put this out there? There's so many smarter people and better books probably about the subject. Why do I do this? And I was listening to, um, your name's uh, Kathy Heller had this podcast, and... Um, it sounds so simple, but she just, it, you know, it just struck me. She said, think about, you know, if somebody hadn't decided to open your favorite Italian restaurant, just because there's other Italian restaurants out there. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's so true. You know what? There's lots of stuff out there. You got to put yours out there. And that way, you know, if one person, that's what I kind of thought. If one person gets the book, you know, if one person laughs and said it made their day better, it's all worth it. Then I've touched that person. That's been great. And um, we said that when we were acting, we used to go out with our play. Uh, and you're like, you know what? If we make one person's day a little bit better, it's all been worth it. You know, because we just felt like we're putting ourselves up there and putting on dresses and running around, you know, this hilarious play. And we did, we had this one night, this woman walks up and says, I have just had the worst day. I don't know what I was going to do to, you know, with my life. And I was just, she was really, you could tell she had a bad day. And she said, you guys just made me laugh and cheered me up. And I'm just so grateful. And we all looked at each other like, there we go. That was, that's all we needed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. Good stuff. The good stuff. Uh, one thing you mentioned that I want to talk about is marketing. Of course, that is the hardest thing, I think, for any artist. Once you put it out there, 
How do you, do you tell um, everyone? What do you say was the hardest part for you in terms of just getting the word out? Well, like I said, I, I'm, I'm not good at it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I tried to, to read and learn, and, and that's why I, I hired a, a PR group and a marketing um, person this time around. And, and I think part of it, like we said, is there's so much content. So how do you get your stuff out there? And certainly if you listen to somebody like, let's say Seth Godin, a lot of people are saying, well, you don't have to capture everybody's attention. You just have to capture your group. You know, so who are your people, like you said? And that's a hard thing sometimes. Say, so who is your audience? It's one thing if you write a very, maybe you write a, a young adult book for this, you know, women who are into fantasy and sci-fi, you know, maybe there's a specific, you know, marketing tool there or, or way that you can, you know, hit your ads. So I, and I, I'm not very good about putting stuff up on social media, but the tools are so available to us. And it's sad on my part. So I'm trying to get better. You know, that's certainly the best way is to get, you know, your friends, the people, you know, please tell other people, put this out there, put this up on your sites or, and do that, connect with other bloggers. So this time that's the type of thing that the marketing person is helping with and saying, let's read out to other book bloggers. Let's um, get the word out there. I've, I found um, there's some really great um, deals out there for authors, like the book bub and the feature deals that help promote you and get a lot of attention around the world if you get a feature deal, which has been nice. Um, so the tools are there. I think you have to, when you read the advice, it's you know, kind of like we said, taking action. You know what? You got to step out there. Um, Amazon makes it pretty easy to put ads out there. So I've been doing a lot of just Amazon ads for the first book. Um, and we'll, we'll expand that for the second book and advertise. And I keep trying. Book clubs have been great. Book clubs have been good fun. You know, you can have a fun book club and they can tell their friends and that kind of helps helps keep things going. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I know that, of course, we've seen the news that a lot of events are coming back, uh, Comic-Cons, festivals, book expos. Um, are you at a point now where you feel like, okay, we're going to get out there, we're going to tour this thing, we're going to you know, just be a presence in like the author community? I would love to. Um, and that's certainly something I've been talking with, um, again, the woman who's helping design the, our marketing strategy. Um, and, you know, based on obviously being safe about this too. I think when you're coming from the medicine side, you probably tend to be more conservative on big groups getting together right now still. Um, so, so yes, that would hopefully, um, I'm reaching out to local bookstores and, and, um, and offering to come do, you know, in-person meet and greets. And um, so, yeah, it's gonna be fun to see what the world, where, where we go here. It'd be nice to, uh, it's, it's fun to be re-engaging a little bit. So hopefully we can go all the way. Yeah, yeah. I I was just at uh, the Rowland Comic Con, and of course this was the first time in about uh, two years since since wow. they had it. And being back there was so surreal. Like, wow, this is really happening, huh? This is a, was it a fun energy just to kind of be re like in that mix again? There must have been a. Fun uh, it was fun-ish. I would say it was a combination really? of fun and nervous because especially the second day was just packed, just wall to wall humanity. I'm thinking, yeah, this. Uh, Oh boy, we'll see what happens here. Yeah, I mean, we feel we still feel pretty adventurous if we go out to a restaurant right now. Like, <laughs> right, wow, we haven't done this for a while. This is okay. We're out. This is good. Every you know, so it, it. I think at the end of it, it was nice. It was definitely good to get it back out there and see people again and be back in that environment. You know, like masks were required and pretty much everyone there was you know doing it, so that was good. Um, but it was uh, I think it was just the thing you haven't done in so long to do it again. There's that initial. I just feel like it was um, it was good. It was just uh, it did kind of like ease into it, especially after like so much time without any of these things. Yeah, no, it's, I think we all felt a little socially awkward the first time you're in more than your tight circle. And I know I've missed this screenwriting seminar I usually go to every year. And 
as much for the lectures, which they put all online, which is great. So you can actually hear the same in, you know, live in person, but nothing beats just talking afterwards and with your people and you're just spitballing ideas and what are you up to and how do we connect and let's work on this together. So miss, miss that for sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, a few more questions. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I read in your, in your bio is that um, one of your pieces of advice was for doctors to listen to patients. I'm curious uh, how, uh, how has that like helped you? And was that something that you like always did? Um, boy, that's, um, a few ways to answer that. So, um, I think I was, that's something, you know, like, I mean, as much as I joke, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't the person who was going to be a doctor and came with this brilliant scientific mind and, um, but I could listen you know, I could, I think I could always, you know, listen and understand maybe sometimes what the real issues were, you know, sometimes there's more than just what the complaints are. You have to really pay attention to the words and also the body language and, and understand what are they really saying? What's, what's the, what's that issue here? Why? Are they upset or why are you know that type of thing um in school we were really fortunate i had some instructors who would teach you the number one reason doctors get sued is is not because they made a mistake it's because the patients didn't think they listened and if they look at the you know you look at legal cases you know obviously if there's a terrible mistake that might not be the case but when there's been a mistake as long as the patients felt the doctors communicated well far less likely to bring a suit against the doctor versus sometimes when things didn't go bad, they're just upset. And that's because they felt like they weren't listened to. We always feel that in life. That's kind of typical, right? You know, if you don't feel listened to, you feel like somewhat dismissed. Um, and it also serves you really well. It's probably the best advice in acting as well. You really got to listen. You can't just hear the end of the last word the person says here and blah, blah, blah. And you speak back. You actually have to listen and hear the words hit you and feel what that triggers in you to, to respond honestly and authentically. So multiple ways that listening is important. And, um, they certainly try to train it, but I, you know, I, I think that is something that, you know, that's like I, I that's probably that's probably helped me when my my scientific brain was uh, on hiatus with head injuries. So, mm-hmm. you know, something that uh, that I'm uh, that I'm always curious about when it comes to feel, to uh, folks who have been in a profession for so long. What kept you in medicine for all these years? Debt. Fair enough. School debt. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> no, I mean, certainly when I was in residency, I'm like, boy, if I didn't have all these student loans right now, I probably would have changed a little sooner. But you're like, okay, if I if I leave now, I've got to start paying them back right now. That's a that's a big number without a degree. Suddenly you're going, okay, it's gonna be a lot of uh, a lot of late night burger shifts or something in a restaurant again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I think I mean I'm being somewhat flippant. Um, just the drive to finish what you start. Certainly, that's you know. I mean, I think every every author and and film writer can relate to that. You're going, you know what? There's definitely times that you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to work on this project. It's not working. I'm banging my head. This sucks. And I think a lot of doctors might not admit that, but you know, I I was probably too open with my advisors, telling them, you know, I I've got this love of acting and writing, and I might just you know, they, please, can you just focus on medicine for another two years, please? That's what you're here for, you know. Yeah, so. Yeah, sneaking out to go to auditions wasn't always smiled upon. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think as much finishing it and at the same time knowing, despite the work and the hours, it was going to be the best way with where I was. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely thought about it. You know, do I just move to Hollywood? Do I just move out there and get a waitering job and try to you know get an agent and just keep going? But felt like you're far enough along. Why don't you finish this? And then you could work shifts and then act. And if you love acting, even if it's community theater, let's do that. And let's um, have fun that way. So there, there was a little bit of, I played a lot in my life, probably should be responsible 
and, and finish what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like this book can help to sort of uh, take away some of the uh, the misnomers or the things that people think what medicine actually is because they only get it from like movies and TV shows? I hope so. I've, I've heard a lot of people, especially in, in recent book clubs with book one, just saying, you know, gave them a really nice perspective on what doctors go through, that they're just people too. And that was the way I treated my patients. I said, look, all I can do is make suggestions. I, w- I wasn't some dictatorial dogmatic doctor telling you, but this is what you're going to do and blah, blah, blah. You know, we wanted to connect and relate and understand and, 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 and try to help them so they would do what's best for themselves. Um, and, as, and as much as I joke, and if you read the, the medical school book and you look at my situation, you're going, all right, that guy can do it. Pretty much anybody can do it, right? Um, but I think it does, it does give, I think, a pretty good sense of what you can expect if you're going to go. You know, these are the courses you're going to see. This is the type of work you're going to see. And there's going to be humor. There's going to be hard work. There's going to be, you know, fun friends along the way. And you'll have a life as much as there's all these. And you're going to spend a lot of weekends in the hospital and nights in the hospital, too. So kind of an honest view, kind of the, the kitchen confidential or, or heat of the, the hospital world. I like that, man. I like that. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate this. And folks, definitely pick up your copy of Playing Doctor Part 2 Residency. It makes a great gift for the uh, the holidays, of course, and definitely get the first one to read the back backstory of this guy. And John, where do folks go to learn more about you and check out the work? Both books are, are on Amazon, pre-order for book two. And um, uh, johnlawrencewriter.com is the website. There's a little bit more there. We're kind of still building it up a little bit more, but there's more information there. And um, and, uh, those are probably the two best places. All right, John. Well, thanks again. I appreciate this. Thank you so much. It's been a treat. Really fun. All right. Hi, this is singer Kate Eppers, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout. Picture this. You finished your first book and nailed it. The plot, the characters, all the twists and turns. This one's a winner, and all you need is the right cover. If you've got my art skills, this is the part where panic usually sets in. Enter the cover villain, hero to writers everywhere. Founded by noted author Remy Flagg, cover villain focuses on composite image covers for science fiction and fantasy writers. Give them the details, and they'll craft a cover using popular trends that everyone will want to see. But wait, you say, I've got ideas of my own. No problem, as cover villain loves a good collaboration. As they say, Our goal is to put a little villain in every cover we make. Want to know more? Then head to CoverVillain.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Okay, everyone, that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to John for joining me, and be sure to check out JohnLawrenceWriter.com for more information and to get your copy of Residency, Playing Doctor. You can also catch this show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout, and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Find the show wherever you check out podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. As always, keep those ears open.